the opening music to Bombshell, released in 1933, starring Gene Harlow, and that's the movie that we're talking about today. It's a listener suggestion, so thank you for, for that suggestion, and if anybody listening wants to suggest a movie for us, just uh, visit us on our webpage, which is www.classicmoviereviews.net. Or head over to Patreon. Just go to patreon.com slash classic movie reviews. Or uh, Facebook. We actually have a Facebook page too. And uh, did I say you're listening to classic movie reviews? I think uh, I... I'm not sure. I'll <laughs> say it again. And you're listening to classic movie reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from rainy North Bend. And uh, this is Bob Johnson in sunny Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Movie Reviews and Bombshell from 1933. With us, thanks to the uh, listener that suggested this film. I enjoyed it a lot. It's a, uh, it's a film that was uh, released uh, the first year that my mother and father were married. Oh. So they were... They were coming up on their first anniversary when this film came out in uh, the fall of 1933. I bet they went to it. I, I'm sure they did, yeah. This, sounds, <laughs> this seems like the kind of film that my mom would say, we need to go to this. We can afford to go to this. We're going to this. Let's go to this. <laughs> okay, we'll go to this. Uh, it, when, I, when I watched it, uh, it reminds me a, a little bit of a film that we reviewed earlier from RKO, Bringing Up Baby. Mm -hmm. From 1938, another hilarity-filled screwball comedy with Katherine Hepburn and and uh, Cary Grant. So there's a lot of it, a lot of hijinks going on. Screwball in, in comedy. Film. That's a good. That's a good term for this movie. Yeah, it's uh, it's from MG, MGM and it was released in October of 1933 and was a big success because Gene Harlow was. Uh, a huge success. I, I couldn't believe she had a very uh, prolific career, but only lived to be 26 years old. And in that time, let's see my notes. She, she did 34 feature length films and 13 short films. Wow. That's amazing to me. That is amazing. She must have been working on uh, every day of the week. Yeah, she was 22 when she made this movie. I was looking at that. And she had died, it seems like, maybe of kidney failure. Yeah, there's always been different stories about how that happened. Uh, but that's what I took away from an article that I read on, on, the, on her life. She had, in that, in that short lifetime, she was married and divorced three times. <laughs> yeah. And when she died, she was dating uh, William Powell from the, um, no one from the... Um, various films that he made, uh, the Thin Man films. Mm -hmm. So she, she had quite a full life for such a short life. Another actor that stood out for me in this movie was Frank Morgan as her dad. <laughs> yes. <laughs> remember, and, remember, remember Frank uh, from uh, 
the Wizard of Oz. Oh, he of was course, the, he was the he was the wizard behind the curtain. Yeah, and I couldn't not think of the Wizard of Oz every time I saw him. He had the same mannerisms and everything in this movie. It yeah, was... I've seen him in several films. He he he, he typically plays the same character. Uh, he was. There were a lot of people in this film that uh, I enjoyed. Like another one is C. Aubrey Smith, who played Mister Wendell. I think it was Wendell Middle, Middleton. Oh, Wendell yeah. Middleton. He he was he was the perfect uh, actor for any film having to do with a, a need for a character actor to, that was a gentleman or an officer. He was uh, Gilf, Gifford Middleton's dad, right? Yes. Yeah. Yes. Yeah. Which he was we find out later is all a part of the uh, elaborate plot by by uh, <laughs> Lee Tracy, the public relations guy. E. G. No. E. J. Space Hanlon yes. was his character name. Ah. <laughs> uh, and and when the, we first meet him, he's got some woman out front of his office banging on his door to let her in because he's published something scandalous about her and then he's got another person in london calling him about some other story so he's like the center of the of the chaos i i would say he's the one who's stirring it all up in the movie i know for everybody he's like a <laughs> tidal wave of publicity and uh lola burns played by by gene harlow has kind of a love-hate relationship with him sometimes they're best friends, and sometimes she wants to kill him, I think. <laughs> <laughs> and that could be in the same scene. Definitely. I tell you, uh, it's, a, it's a fun film to watch. I, I was reading about some of the background on it. It was made in 1933, and that was before the uh, film production code. But I, I really didn't notice that it, it had anything in it that would have been, uh, I don't know what you'd say, R-rated or... No, or over the top that way, but uh, it's just loaded with a, a cast of, of of interesting people, like Lola's brother. Yeah, now, there's a there's a really <laughs> odd duck. I, I'm I'm wondering if they had the same uh, mother because they they seemed so different. Oh, totally. His his name was Junior Burns, and he was played by Ted Healy. Just Junior. And he, he spent most Junior. of the movie down in Tijuana, off screen. <laughs> you can only imagine what was going on down there. Yeah. Beavers played uh, that same role as, the, uh, as she was Loretta. Well, a couple of comments about the film to kind of get them out of my head so I don't forget to, to mention them. It really... In many ways, the comedy and all is hilarious, and I and I really enjoyed it. And yet, it's a it's a film of its time. The uh, the cast, uh, you know, the housekeeper is 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 a black woman. There are a couple of comments made during the film about people of a different, uh, a diverse background. It, it 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 really is. I mean, a ninety year old film. Oh, and yeah. it's a little creaky around the edges when it comes to the some of the dialogue. Although the the basic humor of it is it holds up really well. Yeah, there was a few comments about uh, immigrants that were yes, yeah, noticeable. Uh, yeah. And the one character, uh, Marquis Hugo de Benelli de 
Pisa, Pisa, played by Ivan Lebedev, was uh, another really funny character actor in the movie. And uh, him and the director, played by... Jim Brogan, Pat O'Brien, yeah. 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 Kind of get into a big fight over Lola at some point because there's like this love triangle between uh, Space Hanlon and Jim Brogan and the Marquis. And it's interesting because uh, Hanlon stirs up a bunch of craziness between those two guys. Oh, no kidding. <laughs> of course, you know, just to back up just a tad bit, Lola goes through these periods where she just can't stand what she's doing she, the, the publicity and the notoriety and she has no private life and her house is is chaos she's not only got this brother who's just a little different and her father who enjoys the uh, drink a little too much she's got these three enormous dogs mm -hmm. that every time i saw them i thought those are really really loaded with uh, fleas and some <laughs> interesting outside dirt <laughs> but then, she wants Lewis to beavers, adopt, uh, uh, an orphan yeah, well lois beavers uh who plays loretta lives there and then her secretary um who i'm not sure una merkel i think yeah plays her yeah, una merkel yeah uh her name is mac in the movie lives there and uh so i guess we didn't really set this up too well uh Lola Burns is a really famous Hollywood movie star. She's got 110 million fans, according to Hanlon. And she's, yeah, like you said, she's alternates between loving her job and hating her job. And it's like this constant swirl of chaos around her because of all these people and publicity stuff going on and trying to get to the movie set and things that her dad's cooking up with the brother and <laughs> so oh, it was it was just frustrating for me to watch her try to get out of the house yeah just getting out of the house was a oh, <laughs> journey gosh <laughs> yeah that is a good setup we we dived right in without really doing that uh, in some ways from what i've read about jean harlow and her and her outstanding career in film i, I wonder sometimes if this was how it was for her in real life. Oh, I'm glad you said that. Yeah, her element. I don't yeah. know. There were moments in the film that felt like a little time capsule of 1930s Hollywood. You know, when they were on the Didn't set. It? Yeah. Oh, yeah. And when they were driving into the studio, and there were all those fans outside the studio, and those old cars. And yeah, there were just certain moments in the movie that just felt like a little time travel back to that era. Which was really cool, and and in the opening uh, part of the film, there there are clips from different films that Lola's been in, and of course they included some that were real, like with Clark Gable. That's from the film Red Dust from 1932 that she made with him. So it gave a feeling for me of of being a real sort of a life story of what it was like for her. The other thing I wanted to mention was it was an almost exactly 90 minutes long and i think it broke down into three parts almost exactly at a 30 minute mark so the first 30 minutes is like this setup of her 
and her life and introducing all these characters and this chaos. And then there's like this shift in tone where at the 30 minute mark, she decides she wants to adopt a baby from this orphanage. And then the next 30 minutes is all about the, the shenanigans that are going on about adopting this child. And then at about the 60 minute mark, it shifts to where she goes out to the desert and wants to just get away. She quits the studio. She's just done with it. And of course, you know, like Hanlon's not going to let that happen. So he concocts this elaborate plan to get her to come back to the studio. <laughs> there was a point at that. That's a really good way to characterize the film. I hadn't, I hadn't thought of it in the, in the uh, one third uh, segments over that hour hour and a half but he, everything in the story that involves her and the chaos around her and the publicity and all he's got a hand in it mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. totally i mean the talk about uh pulling the strings my goodness sakes and what and when she goes to the desert in act three when i first saw that hotel that she checked into i thought that's the hotel from sun valley oh is it but but it was I don't think it was but it had that same look. It looked like they were actually on set. I mean, actually on location out there. Yeah, it did. I, it was, uh, you know, ninety years ago. It may have been Palm Springs and an early version of itself. I don't know. Yeah. Film. Let's listen to a little clip here at the beginning where she finally gets out of bed and dressed, and she's ready to head out to the studio. And then all of a sudden, she gets uh, blindsided with uh, a reporter that wants to do a story on her. And it's, it's like 7 o'clock in the morning. And, of course, this was all set up by Hanlon because Hanlon is her publicist. And he, he's the kind of guy that thinks that uh, no publicity is, or any publicity is good publicity. Whether it's bad or good, it doesn't matter. So here she's coming down the stairs, and we'll just this kind of sets up this whole chaotic environment. Oh, good morning, daughter. Oh, hello, darling. What are you doing up so early? Are you going to settle down and help Lola run? I, uh, <laughs> your career is always paramount in my mind, daughter. I, I That's the same shirt and tie you had on yesterday. Oh, yes, daughter. The laundry. Oh, the laundry, nothing. You old rooster. You've been out all night and you're still boiled. I, I've been in conference with some racing men. We've been discussing methods of breeding. Don't talk to me about your methods of breeding. I don't want to hear another word. Where's the car? I gotta go to work. Oh, I insisted that Jeffries get some sleep. We, we've been using him a little hard lately. Yeah, I get it. All right, Mac, have him bring around my roadster. Your brother took the roadster to Tijuana. Tijuana, say, who told him yeah, that I he... sent Junior down there to look over a crop of fillies with the idea of a possible yeah, purchase. I know the kind of fillies he'll look over. All right, have him bring around the station wagon, a oh, truck, oh, and Miss Burns, uh, the cook took the station wagon. That's great. Now, what am I supposed to go to work in, a kitty car? I don't know why I go on putting up with this. I do all the work, and everybody uses my automobiles with me. And Pops is stewed, and I get soaked in sauerkraut juice. Miss Carroll. How do you do? Hello, remember me? Carol from Photoplay. I have to have a story, Lola. Of course. Oh, Miss Carol, always glad to see the press. <laughs> I know it's pretty early, but Space Hanlon said we could talk at breakfast and on the way to location. Your studio couldn't have a better publicity head than Hanlon, Lola. He can always fit things in. 
He certainly can. Uh, summers, uh, uh, winters. Uh, show Miss Carol into the music room. I'll join you in a moment. Ha! Faith Hamlin always fits things in, does he? He won't give me a minute to myself, that's what. And all those lies he's had printed about me ever since I've been in this business. Listen, sweetheart, you'd still be an extra if it wasn't for me and what I know to feed the public. I'll call a studio car, Lola. Faith Hamlin, that double-crossing... My daughter, Miss Carroll, is waiting. Mm. A fine time to arrange an interview with a person not half awake. Oh, but daughter, don't... Yeah, that's, uh, I think that's a good intro. <laughs> <laughs> it is. The visual is also nice. Pops looks like like he just came in off the street. And I love when she says, you're still boiled. Yeah. <laughs> and that line about she's soaked in sauerkraut juice refers back to a few minutes before that where she wanted some orange juice, uh, but the butler brings her a glass of sauerkraut juice, which I'd never heard of before. That sounds awful. It does, doesn't it? Oh, yeah. gosh. Very and I think sour. the butler was a fill-in. Yeah. I think it, there was another guy that was supposed to be there, but he was off somewhere. Yeah, the other butler's name was, Sum was Summer, and this butler's name is Winter. <laughs> <laughs> she must have felt like she was supporting the entire cast of every film she was ever in. Well, I think she, well, she definitely felt that way. She pretty much said that. Um and it oh. comes up again later in the movie when her dad wants some money to bail out the brother, I think. Or I, I don't know what happened down in Tijuana, but she, he needs $400 <laughs> for the brother. <laughs> to get him out of the clink. <laughs> <clears throat> I could see where she was sort of getting tired of it all. It just continues through that first it's 30 minutes it, it's amazing film. to me though watching that even now uh that she was she was 22 years old i mean she carries the scene she carries the whole movie oh she does yeah yeah she really the she she is such a presence on film and she's very physical like the, when you watch it she's she's using her hands and she's like oh and she's just so you could just tell she's so angry <laughs> Their hair's yeah. flying around. Oh, yeah. my gosh. Those dogs, I thought they were going to knock over people. They're so big. So the other thing I thought while watching this is that after I realized it was sort of like three episodes in the movie, I thought this is like a prototype for the situational comedy. Um, it's, it's exactly like some of those TV shows that came out in the 80s and 90s, and they still are making them. But, you know, there'd be some chaotic setup like this and then all these characters would come in and it would then resolve in some funny way at the end and that's exactly like what's happening in this movie i can think of films from uh, the 40s 50s 60s up to the current day where the film is centered around those same three premises mm -hmm. gosh it's it's a forerunner, and we haven't seen other films of hers for podcasts, but this could have been a kind of a standard plot set up for many of her films. I'd be interested to watch more of her. I've never watched a Jean Harlow movie until now, which is, uh, maybe that's hard to believe, but there's just so many movies. It's hard to, you know, that's the thing about doing this podcast is we finally, you know, after all these episodes... We continue to, I should say, we continue to find like new actors, actresses, films that are really good. 
and fun to watch. An, an endless stream. The only film of hers that I've seen is Red Dust from 1932, which is which is really an excellent film and was remade in 1953 with Clark Gable in both of them. The mm. 53 version is called Magambo, which came up from another viewer suggesting that we do a f film, uh, sort of a short film festival of African films. Mm-hmm, mm -hmm. So that came out of the red dust. I, I did want to mention that uh, the director, Victor Fleming, had such a, a long and successful career. Just some of the films that he's responsible for, Gone with the Wind, huh. did pretty well in the box office. Uh, Dr. Jekyll and Mr. Hyde from 1941 with Spencer Tracy and uh, The Wizard of Oz. Mm -hmm. So he, there's even that that uh, setup for The Wizard of Oz, really, when you think about it. Oh, yeah, I guess so. Yeah, the chaos at home before the yeah. tornado. It's it's a wonderful setup for, for why she's sort of fed up with the whole thing. And, and talk about on again, off again with her publicist, my goodness. They're fighting and making up throughout the film. Yeah, and... Here's another scene. Do you remember this scene on the film set when we've got the director and the marquee and the director is trying to get her to do her lines and she's making, you know, goo goo eyes at the marquee. And then uh, Hanlon has to come in and break the whole thing up. I do. Hugo, darling, I'm so here. sorry. Honest, I don't know so how it happened. The director doesn't like the marquee. That's question the most important thing to know about this. Oh, I know, Hugo. Uh, do you know Jim Brogan? Yeah, we met once or twice. Glad to know you. He admitted he knew who I was, and yet he wouldn't let me pass. All right, clear the stage. Give me all your lights, honey. Come on over and sit down. Honest, it won't happen again, Hugo. There, you can see everything from there. Thank you. I've got to fix my hair. A little hotter on that roof, Hal. A little hotter on the roof. All right, that's enough. <coughs> I'm sorry I didn't know you were there. Oh, Hugo, darling, does it hurt? He didn't mean to do it. Let no, it's me see. All right. Places, please. Hugo, dear, would you like a glass of water or, or some coffee? Loretta, maybe there's... Whenever Miss Burns is ready. All right. Now, look, Lola. You're in the barrel, see? And Gable comes around there, and when he gets opposite here, you watch my hand for the signal, you start splashing the water and laughing, and then... Why, Jim, what's the matter? Jim, now what are you mad about? Now listen. Will you kindly tell that glorified barber to get off my set? He's not a barber. He speaks French and Spanish and Italian. I don't care if he speaks Eskimo. I don't like him. Tell him to get off. He's got royal blood in his veins. I don't care if he's got a royal flush in his kidneys. Tell him to scram. Jim. I can't stand him, I tell you. Tell him to get off. You can't talk that way about Hugo. No, they told me you'd fall over that jiggle, but I didn't believe it. Are you talking about me? Yes, I'm talking about you. Jim, stop it. Go, Hugo. Get him off. I... Well, well, good morning, everybody. Hugo, Jim, stop get it. Get him away from me, Lola. <laughs> Children, daughter, what oh, is Here's old Colonel Starbottle. What a morning's work this is going to be. This bull seems to infer that I am unwelcome in the Oh, place. James, you 
James, my boy, you mustn't quarrel with you. Go. There's no... I thought I threw that old lush off my set for good a year ago. <coughs> As my daughter's business manager. Business manager? I demand an apology. Oh, I've forgotten all about you. Since when did you drop your buggy whip and take up the reins of finance? Uh, now, you needn't speak of that so lightly, sir. Horses are coming back. Hi. Sure they are. You'll be behind every one of them with a broom. You can't talk to my father like that. I won't allow it. But Lola, after all... Who do you think you are talking to a poor, defenseless old man? Well, that's working. Uh, Who had my set buttered up with a lot of loafers? He's here, brother. father. Who's the head? Who's rounded? You keep out of there. Stay out of here, Howard. I don't bother with your department. Now, wait a minute, Jim. Wait a minute. Now, listen. I don't need you to settle any of my arguments. I know, but wait a minute. Is this the old smooth-tongued, easy-going brogan, the one genius in all Hollywood that hasn't got any temperament? I know, Spade. Only the other day, Gillette is saying to me, thank heaven, Jim Brogan's back on the lot. I know, but... Did he really say that? Certainly says that and a lot more. Now, how'd you like to have him come popping in here right now and see you ranting around here like any ordinary quickie director? Why don't you get up there and check on your setup? I'll get rid of this uh, fun guy. Thanks, Bert. Hey, what else did he say? I'll give you the lowdown later. I don't understand those. Just a little ripple post, but it happens to all creative, sensitive people. Marquis, you're just the man that I wanted to see. Yes, you do. Huh? You tried to keep him off the lot. That's what you did. Oh, Lola, please. It was all a ghastly mistake. A thousand apologies, Marquis. What I said was that the minute that you appeared on the lot, I wanted you to report immediately to my office. That fool Frank got it all wrong. Yeah, Frank <laughs> usually gets things pretty straight. Oh, Lola, please. I've just realized that the Marquis is a one man in a thousand to help me out of a hole. You see, we're having a little trouble getting stuff in European publications. And I feel sure that if the Marquis will give us the benefit of his continental training, I'd certainly appreciate anything well, well, that he right. could do. You know, I work very hard, Marquis, but believe it or not, I have never, never been out of the state. Naturally, I haven't got the pulse of the European public as well as I might have. However, on the other hand, if you... Oh, by the way, Mr. Burns, will you drop over to Horrell's as soon as you can, please, and have some new photographs taken? I'm uh, getting up an article about you and the American sportsman. <laughs> Certainly, Space. <laughs> American sportsman, eh? That handling's a bright young fella. Well, at least he sees Hugo as a man of intelligence after all. Yeah, photographs, eh? Well, I'll do that just just as soon as you sign this check, daughter. Four hundred dollars. Yeah, I want to wire it right away. Who I, for? Well, the junior didn't explain. He just telephoned Oh, I get it. Tijuana again. They've been giving him a sleigh ride on that roulette wheel. Oh, now, Lola, you must be too hard on your brother. You Not know, another pro- nickel. He's been supporting every gambling joint on that border with his millionaire complex and my money. Yeah, but they're liable to hold him. You well, know the Mexican... let them hold him. Let him put him to work on a rock pile. I don't care. I'm through. He's a liar and a no good and a... Oh, what the heck. More liked him. <laughs> Wow, just imagine what that would be like to have that whole cast and have that whole thing produced like that and have it come off. I don't know how many rehearsals they did of that or how many takes they've had to make, but it's it's amazing. <laughs> it's it's fun to watch because there's just so oh, much energy on the screen. It is. All the all the actors are really getting into their characters. You can tell. And the look on Hanlon's face when he walks into the set and sees all this fighting, he's like, he's got a big grin on his face because this is my element. He's thinking, like, (laughs) I I could deal with this. It's like a hundred gears all meshing together in this chaotic world of filmmaking. Oh, There's a scene right after that one. Through it all comes Frank Morgan's voice, old pops. Oh yeah, he's, he's, well. the same. <laughs> he's still boiled <laughs> through the whole movie. <laughs> through yeah. the whole movie, and in fact, in real life, he suffered from that whole issue. Oh, really? Alcoholism. Yeah, yeah, I was reading about his life. 
he had a special uh, apparently from what i read he had a special like a briefcase that was set up he had a little mini bar oh boy uh that's too bad assuming that that's an accurate depiction yeah that i read there was a scene right after that one where they go to this nightclub i just want to play just a snippet of this because i think this is like one of those scenes that feels like a time capsule from the 1930s good evening everybody this is gus arnheim speaking to you from the coconut grove i see quite a few notables here this evening folks why, right here in front of us, I see the beautiful Lola Burns, the bombshell herself, folks. And she's dancing with the Marquis de Benelli di Pisa. What a romantic couple they make. Good evening, guys. The old radio shows that would broadcast live from some ballroom somewhere in Hollywood or New York. Yep. And it, it, the way that it's filmed and everything just feels like you're there. It's, it's great. Just hearing the sound of it reminds me of when I was a kid on the radio. We would, uh, I think it was on Sundays or Saturdays. I think Sundays. Uh, we got a hour-long program from the Royal Hawaiian Hotel in Honolulu with the big bands, and it, it was exactly like what they ju- what they had in the show in the movie. That's cool. It's a great nostalgia piece. Absolutely. Well, more chaos ensues after that. And then um, uh, she has another uh, publisher, no, another writer visit her in her home. And they're going to do this uh, spread in like good housekeeping or something about how, uh, what, what a good homemaker she is. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> which, which is funny because she's definitely not home like cooking and stuff like that uh but you know it's it's all make-believe it's all uh for the publicity this woman says something to her that gets her thinking so here let's take a listen to that like this oh that's fine now hold it still thank you oh that was sweet so sweet Mmm, that smells good i just love baked potatoes don't you that's my last plate mrs titcomb I just hate to go, but I think I have everything, don't you? Oh, do stay and have lunch with Mrs. Tetsuke. No, dear. I must dash off and stop putting down the words. They're just itching at the tips of my pinkies. (laughs) Such a dear little nest you have here. It is cozy. You know, I imagine, with all your work, as fascinating and inspiring as it must be, you don't have much time to enjoy your own fireside, do you? No, our life is dedicated to our public, Mrs. Titka. But tell me, dear, you're a woman. You're the sweet, unspoiled child I knew you were. But don't you ever, in the midst of the grueling pace of your career, doesn't there ever come a longing for... for the right of all womanhood? Um, uh, let's see, uh... uh... You mean that, uh... I mean... Don't you ever find yourself listening for the patter of little feet? Why? Oh, yes, Mrs. Titcomb. Yes. The call of motherhood is so strong in some women. The call of fatherhood in men, too. Sometimes I think that's what killed Mr. Titcomb. 
Oh, well, we must all bear the crosses given, as I always say. Uh, goodbye, my dear. <laughs> oh, uh, don't let that studio work you too hard now. Goodbye, Mrs. Pitkin. Oh, we are, as the French say. <laughs> <laughs> She's got this really dazed, starry look on her face. <laughs> She's dreaming about babies. The patter of little feet. <laughs> Yes. Well, that sets up the second act of the movie where she visits an orphanage and finds this young uh, baby boy that she wants to adopt. And, of course, the people running the orphanage are like, well, we have to do a home visit. We, we, we always vet our uh, parents. <laughs> and <laughs> right then you know this was going to go sideways. <laughs> There's so many parts to the next act oh, <laughs> my goodness yeah so more more chaos ensues. oh more chaos is right uh she ends up not being able to adopt the baby surprise i know that that's a shock um uh, and it kind of pushes her over the edge to the point where she's done with hollywood like she's gonna go out to the desert and she's just gonna take some time off and uh, Hanlon is distraught about that because she's she's the money maker. I mean, she's the money maker for her family and for him and the studio, and it all kind of revolves around her. Um, so he sets a plot in motion that we don't really find out about until the very end. But this is I probably was sort of surprised by that too. The, uh, totally the intrigue that he went through. Totally, and this is my favorite section of the movie out here in the desert i really like um the character that is played by uh francois tone gifford middleton i loved i loved his character tone yes went on to have a big career in hollywood what's his how do you say his name I, well i pronounce it francia francia tone okay. but I, i'm not sure that's correct either uh he was an interesting person i was reading about him he was um, quite famous and did a lot of movies, was classically trained. This says that he became one of the most talented movie actors in Hollywood. He is responsible for the establishment of the best supporting actor and actress categories in the Academy Awards, owing to his supporting performance and subsequent best actor nomination in Mutiny on the Bounty in 1935. Oh my goodness. Yeah. I did not know that, but I know that he had a long career and was was very successful. He ran in. He had a run-in with the um, Un-American Affairs uh, Committee. Was accused of being a communist in 1940. He was exonerated from that, but then later in 1949, he was listed as one of Stalin's stars in the Red Treason in Hollywood. Now oh that's an goodness. area. That's an. I didn't know about the Stalin stars. That's I, I haven't heard that term either. I know there were other publications that were kind of built around that whole era of the House on American Activities Committee. But that Stalin Stars is new to me. Yeah, I'm going to I'm going to research that a little bit and learn more about it. Uh, one of the things I like about doing these podcasts as we do one I find out more and more about what I didn't know. But I do remember he was he was very successful in a lot of films. I, I'm not recalling right now all of them, but he was quite physically fit, too. Yeah. And he rides in on that horse. 
he rides in on this horse to save uh, <coughs> Lola, and Lola's just swept off her feet. Then he starts romancing her, and this this scene here in the garden at night in the moonlight is just it's just awesome. Here, listen to his speech. The moonlight's beautiful. Today and tonight will live forever in my heart. Oh, it has been wonderful. I'll lie awake all night on the pillow of its memory. But you hardly know me. I've known you in every ripple of moonlight I've ever seen, in every symphony I've ever heard, in every perfume I've ever smelt. Yes, her dad's lovely. Your hair. Your hair is like a field of silver daisies. I'd like to run barefoot through your hair. Yes, her I... <laughs> You, you mustn't, yes, her. <laughs> That's so funny. What a visual. I'd like to run barefoot through your hair. <laughs> he's so smarmy. He's uh, uh, he's just so perfect. <laughs> he looks perfect. He acts perfect. He makes no mistakes. <clears throat> and his mother and father aren't exactly uh, rubes either. <laughs> it's, it's, wow. oh, yeah, they're they're awesome too. Let's listen to a little bit of them. Here's, here's where they uh, meet the parents. Okay. Mother said they'd be out here having tea. I'm so nervous. Do you think they'll really like me? How can they help it, darling? Oh, there they are. Where? Oh. <laughs> Wouldn't you two like to park here? There's uh, plenty of room. Mother, this is she. How do you do? This is the greatest pleasure of my life, Mrs. Middleton. And my father, dear. How do you do? I'm trying to see which one of you Gifford takes after. We like to think of him as resembling both of them. Wait, that's natural, isn't it? Uh, Gifford told us that your father and brother are in California. Yeah, father and brother in business here. Oh, business. Why, yes, of Father's really more of a retired sportsman, but he's still interested in a, in the transportation business. Of course, uh, when Clifford told us about you this morning, uh, we were naturally very much surprised. Oh, yes. A mother hates to lose her boy. Oh, we could all live together. I'm used to that. I don't understand. I mean, my family's always lived with me. Of course, that's one of the first things. We must meet your family before we... Uh, uh, we're a little zealous about the Middleton stock. The carrying on of the name. I'm afraid that's something that was born in us. Burns your father and brother in the lobby. You mean here? Splendid. Send them out here. What a fortunate coincidence. We can now discuss the whole matter together. Oh, no, wait. I'll go get them. Shall I? Oh, no, Gifford. I'll be right back. <laughs> I just noticed that the mom <clears throat> called him Clifford uh, instead of Gifford, <laughs> which is really there's funny a, when you find out what's really going on. <laughs> there's another throwaway line from C. Aubrey Smith. <clears throat> when we find out what's really going on, he says, why didn't Lewis Stone get that part? <laughs> or why does he get all those parts? Lewis Stone was another character actor who was 
Andy Hardy's father on all those Hardy films in oh. the 30s and 40s. It just the the, <laughs> the screenplay is has all these kind of inside jokes that tie back to real things. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> it says, "I'd like to run through your hair." <laughs> That's he, one of the best lines I think I've ever heard. Oh, totally. He's one of my favorite parts of the movie. I mean, she's my favorite part, but then he's my second favorite part. He's great. What a screenplay. So, yeah, it's dense, too. There's just so much going on. It moves really fast. Like, it was a quick 90 minutes. I should have realized when Hanlon was sitting there, uh, when they, when she was going to meet the parents, that he's, he's got to be behind all of this. Yeah. Every single yeah. thing. He He's behind everything that happens in the movie, pretty much. And everybody else is just carried along in the maelstrom. Yeah. yeah one of great. the uh, one of the memories I have of Lee Tracy who plays Hanlon he plays the president uh, who the president of the United States in the 1964 film The Best Man which was led by Henry Fonda but uh, Tracy's playing the wise president who's sick and he's involved in picking the next vice of the presidential candidates just a wonderful role. I think that might have been his last role very late in his life. Okay, that's cool. Yeah, it's listed as the first movie on his filmography. Um, I remember uh, it was Joan Crawford that Francis Tone was married to. Oh, okay. Yeah. So, well, I think that pretty much sums up the movie i don't have much else to say <laughs> it's fun i have one quick review here from the new york times the uh the reviewer says and i quote the comedy is too rambunctious and the scenes which are not precisely convincing however and again continuing the quote in her element gene harlow is perfect as the character of lola burns it is rambunctious and all, but I think that's part of the charm. Yeah, I think that's what they were going for. So I, how did you see this as a as a rating? I'd give it an eight. Yeah, it's it's definitely above average and it's very entertaining. There's a few scenes that I wish uh well let's see, there's a few scenes that don't hold up well today. And a few lines that are like kind of borderline offensive now. Yeah, they are after the 90 years. I have the same rating for it for basically the same reasons. But some of the scenes are just so well done and so much fun, like on the movie set mm -hmm. or when those two women come out from the orphanage or when Franchitone shows up on his horse. And naturally, I think he's wearing a tank top, right? It's a really tight-fitting, like, white short sleeve sweater. <laughs> oh, sweater, that was it. Yeah. So I'm, I want to thank our listener again for, for recommending that we review it. I had never seen the film, and uh, Gene Harlow is just outstanding. Saklani on uh, Patreon left a, a message about uh, wanting to do Bombshell, so... Uh, that was a great suggestion, Saklani. Thank you for that uh, that idea. Yeah. So if you uh, if anybody else has ideas, like I said earlier, uh, reach out on 
uh, our website or through Patreon, and we'll uh, take a look at it. And yeah, we do have some more ideas, possibly for a film festival that's kind of centered around films set in Africa. And so we're kind of exploring that idea uh, as well. I'll take a look at the, the films that were suggested, and I think I sent you three or two or three others, and maybe make sure that all of them are readily available, and I'll get that off to you this week so you have a chance to see that, because uh, that would be a fun one to do. Yeah, cool. All right, well, that was Bombshell, and it was a lot of fun. We recommend it. It's available on pretty much every streaming platform. Well, at least YouTube and Apple TV have it. I think Amazon Prime has it, and uh, so it's pretty accessible. And, uh, yeah, coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles, this is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching. <laughs>